0: Section thirty eight of Volume One B of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of Sixteen Eighty Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of Sixteen Eighty Eight by David Hume. Volume One B, Section Thirty Eight. Chapter eighteen part one Henry the Fourth. The English had so long been familiarized to the hereditary succession of their monarchs, the instances of departure from it had always borne such strong symptoms of injustice and violence, and so little of a national choice or election, and the returns to the true line had ever been deemed such unfortunate incidents in their history, that henry was afraid lest in resting his title on the consent of the people he should build on a foundation to which the people themselves were not accustomed and whose solidity they would with difficulty be brought to recognize the idea too of choice seemed always to imply that of conditions and a right of recalling the consent upon any supposed violation of them an idea which was not naturally agreeable to a sovereign and might in england be dangerous to the subjects who lying so much under the influence of turbulent nobles had ever paid but an imperfect obedience even to their hereditary princes for these reasons henry was determined never to have recourse to this claim the only one on which his authority could consistently stand he rather chose to patch up his title in the best manner he could from other pretensions and in the end he left himself in the eyes of men of sense no ground of right but his present possession a very precarious foundation which by its very nature was liable to be overthrown by every faction of the great or prejudice of the people he had indeed a present advantage over his competitor the heir of the house of mortimer who had been declared in parliament heir to the crown was a boy of seven years of age his friends consulted his safety by keeping silence with regard to his title henry detained him and his younger brother in an honourable custody at windsor castle but he had reason to dread that in proportion as that nobleman grew to man's estate he would draw to him the attachment of the people and make them reflect on the fraud violence and injustice by which he had been excluded from the throne many favourable topics would occur in his behalf he was a native of england possessed an extensive interest from the greatness and alliances of his family however criminal the deposed monarch this youth was entirely innocent he was of the same religion and educated in the same manners with the people and could not be governed by any separate interest these views would all concur to favour his claim and though the abilities of the present prince might ward off any dangerous revolution it was justly to be apprehended that his authority could with difficulty be brought to equal that of his predecessors henry in his very first parliament had reason to see the danger attending that station which he had assumed and the obstacles which he would meet with in governing an unruly aristocracy always divided by faction and at present inflamed with the resentments consequent on such recent convulsions the peers on their assembling broke out into violent animosities against each other forty gauntlets the pledges of furious battle were thrown on the floor of the house by noblemen who gave mutual challenges and liar and traitor resounded from all quarters The king had so much authority with these doughty champions as to prevent all the combats which they threatened but he was not able to bring them to a proper composure or to an amicable disposition towards each other it was not long before these passions broke into action the earls of rutland kent and huntingdon and Lord Spencer, who were now degraded from the respective titles of Albemarle, Surrey, Exeter, and Gloucester, conferred on them by Richard, entered into a conspiracy together with the Earl of Salisbury and Lord Lumley, for raising an insurrection and for seizing the king's person at Windsor. But the treachery of Rutland gave him warning of the danger. He suddenly withdrew to London, and the conspirators who came to windsor with a body of five hundred horse found that they had missed this blow on which all the success of their enterprise depended henry appeared next day at kingston upon thames at the head of twenty thousand men mostly drawn from the city and his enemies unable to resist his power dispersed themselves with a view of raising their followers in the several counties which were the seat of their interest but the adherents of the king were hot in the pursuit and everywhere opposed themselves to their progress the earls of kent and salisbury were seized at sirencester by the citizens and were next day beheaded without further ceremony according to the custom of the times the citizens of Bristol treated Spencer and Lumley in the same manner. The Earl of Huntingdon, Sir Thomas Blount, and Sir Benedict Seely, who were also taken prisoners, suffered death, with many others of the conspirators, by orders from Henry. And when the quarters of these unhappy men were brought to London, no less than eighteen bishops and thirty-two mitred abbots joined the populace and met them with the most indecent marks of joy and exultation but the spectacle the most shocking to every one who retained any sentiment either of honor or humanity still remained the earl of rutland appeared carrying on a pole the head of lord spencer his brother-in-law which he presented in triumph to henry as a testimony of his loyalty this infamous man who was soon after duke of york by the death of his father and first prince of the blood had been instrumental in the murder of his uncle the duke of gloucester had then deserted richard by whom he was trusted had conspired against the life of henry to whom he had sworn allegiance had betrayed his associates whom he had seduced into this enterprise and now displayed in the face of the world these badges of his multiplied dishonour henry was sensible that though the execution of these conspirators might seem to give security to his throne the animosities which remain after such bloody scenes are always dangerous to royal authority and he therefore determined not to increase by any hazardous enterprise those numerous enemies with whom he was everywhere environed while a subject he was believed to have strongly imbibed all the principles of his father the duke of lancaster and to have adopted the prejudices which the lollards inspired against the abuses of the established church but finding himself possessed of the throne by so precarious a title he thought superstition a necessary implement of public authority and he resolved by every expedient to pay court to the clergy there were hitherto no penal laws enacted against heresy an indulgence which had proceeded not from a spirit of toleration in the romish church but from the ignorance and simplicity of the people which had rendered them unfit either for starting or receiving any new or curious doctrines and which needed not to be restrained by rigorous penalties but when the learning and genius of Wycliffe had once broken in some measure the fetters of prejudice the ecclesiastics called aloud for the punishment of his disciples and the king who was very little scrupulous in his conduct was easily induced to sacrifice his principles to his interest and to acquire the flavor of the church by that most effectual method the gratifying of their vengeance against opponents he engaged the parliament to pass a law for that purpose it was enacted that when any heretic who relapsed or refused to abjure his opinions Was delivered over to the secular arm by the bishop or his commissaries he should be committed to the flames by the civil magistrate before the whole people this weapon did not long remain unemployed in the hands of the clergy william Sautre, rector of st osithe's in london had been condemned by the convocation of canterbury his sentence was ratified by the house of peers the king issued his writ for the execution and the unhappy man atoned for his erroneous opinions by the penalty of fire this is the first instance of that kind in england and thus one horror more was added to those dismal scenes which at that time were already too familiar to the people But the utmost precaution and prudence of Henry could not shield him from those numerous inquietudes which assailed him from every quarter. The connections of Richard with the royal family of France made that court exert its activity to recover his authority, or revenge his death. But though the confusions in England tempted the french to engage in some enterprise by which they might distress their ancient enemy the greater confusions which they experienced at home obliged them quickly to accommodate matters and charles content with recovering his daughter from henry's hands laid aside his preparations and renewed the truce between the kingdoms the attack of guienne was also an inviting attempt which the present factions that remained among the french obliged them to neglect the gascons affectionate to the memory of richard who was born among them refused to swear allegiance to a prince that had dethroned and murdered him and the appearance of a french army on their frontiers would probably have tempted them to change masters but the earl of worcester arriving with some English troops, gave countenance to the partisans of Henry, and overawed their opponents. Religion, too, here found a cement to their union with England. The Gascons had been engaged by Richard's authority to acknowledge the Pope of Rome, and they were sensible that, if they submitted to France, it would be necessary for them to pay obedience to the Pope of Avignon, whom they had been taught to detest as a schismatic. Their principles on this head were too fast-rooted to admit of any sudden or violent alteration. The revolution in England proved likewise the occasion of an insurrection in Wales. Owen Glendower, or Glendordoy, descended from the ancient princes of that country, had become obnoxious on account of his attachment to Richard and reginald lord gray of ruthyn who was closely connected with the new king and who enjoyed a great fortune in the marches of wales thought the opportunity favorable for oppressing his neighbor and taking possession of his estate glendower provoked at the injustice and still more at the indignity recovered possession by the sword henry sent assistance to gray the welsh took part with glendower a troublesome and tedious war was kindled which glendower long sustained by his valor and activity aided by the natural strength of the country and the untamed spirit of its inhabitants as glendower committed devastations promiscuously on all the english he infested the estate of the earl of marsh and sir edward mortimer uncle to that nobleman led out the retainers of the family, and gave battle to the Welsh chieftain. His troops were routed, and he was taken prisoner. At the same time, the Earl himself, who had been allowed to retire to his castle of Wigmore, and who, though a mere boy, took the field with his followers, fell also into Glendower's hands, and was carried by him to Wales. As Henry dreaded and hated all the family of marsh he allowed the earl to remain in captivity and though that young nobleman was nearly allied to the pierces to whose assistance he himself had owed his crown he refused to the earl of northumberland permission to treat of his ransom with glendower the uncertainty in which henry's affairs stood during a long time with france as well as the confusions incident to all great changes in government, tempted the Scots to make incursions into England, and Henry, desirous of taking revenge upon them, but afraid of rendering his new government unpopular by requiring great supplies from his subjects, summoned at Westminster a council of the peers, without the commons, and laid before them the state of his affairs, The military part of the feudal constitution was now much decayed there remained only so much of that fabric as affected the civil rights and properties of men and the peers here undertook but voluntarily to attend the king in an expedition against scotland each of them at the head of a certain number of his retainers henry conducted this army to edinburgh of which he easily made himself master and he there summoned robert the third to do homage to him for his crown but finding that the scots would neither submit nor give him battle he returned in three weeks after making this useless bravado and he disbanded his army in the subsequent season archibald earl of douglas at the head of twelve thousand men and attended by many of the principal nobility of scotland made an eruption into england and committed devastations on the northern counties on his return home he was overtaken by the pierces at homeldom on the borders of england and a fierce battle ensued where the scots were finally routed douglas himself was taken prisoner as was mordack earl of fife son of the duke of albany and nephew of the scottish king with the earls of Angus, Murray, and Orkney, and many others of the gentry and nobility. When Henry received intelligence of this victory, he sent the Earl of Northumberland orders not to ransom his prisoners, which that nobleman regarded as his right by the laws of war received in that age. The king intended to detain them, that he might be able by their means to make an advantageous peace with scotland but by this policy he gave a fresh disgust to the family of Piercy. the obligations which henry had owed to northumberland were of a kind the most likely to produce ingratitude on the one side and discontent on the other the sovereign naturally became jealous of that power which had advanced him to the throne and the subject was not easily satisfied in the returns which he thought so great a favour had merited. Though Henry, on his accession, had bestowed the office of constable on Northumberland for life, and conferred other gifts on that family, these favours were regarded as their due, the refusal of any other request was deemed an injury. The impatient spirit of Harry Piercy and the factious disposition of the Earl of Worcester, younger brother of Northumberland, inflamed the discontents of that nobleman, and the precarious title of Henry tempted him to seek revenge, by overturning that throne which he had first established. He entered into a correspondence with Glendower. He gave liberty to the Earl of Douglas, and made an alliance with that martial chief. He roused up all his partisans to arms, and such unlimited authority at that time belonged to the great families, that the same men, whom a few years before he had conducted against Richard, now followed his standard in opposition to Henry. When war was ready to break out, Northumberland was seized with a sudden illness at Berwick, and young Piercy, taking the command of the troops, marched towards Shrewsbury in order to join his forces with those of Glendower. The king had happily a small army on foot, with which he had intended to act against the Scots, and knowing the importance of celerity in all civil wars, he instantly hurried down that he might give battle to the rebels. He approached Piercy near Shrewsbury, before that nobleman was joined by glendower and the policy of one leader and impatience of the other made them hasten to a general engagement the evening before the battle piercy sent a manifesto to henry in which he renounced his allegiance set that prince at defiance and in the name of his father and uncle as well as his own enumerated all the grievances of which he pretended the nation had reason to complain. He upbraided him with the perjury of which he had been guilty, when, on landing at Ravenspur, he had sworn upon the Gospels before the Earl of Northumberland that he had no other intention than to recover the Duchy of Lancaster, and that he would ever remain a faithful subject to King Richard. He aggravated his guilt in first dethroning, then murdering, that prince, and in usurping on the title of the house of mortimer to whom both by lineal succession and by declarations of parliament the throne when vacant by richard's demise did of right belong he complained of his cruel policy in allowing the young earl of marsh whom he ought to regard as his sovereign to remain a captive in the hands of his enemies and in even refusing to all his friends permission to treat of his ransom he charged him again with perjury in loading the nation with heavy taxes after having sworn that without the utmost necessity he would never levy any impositions upon them and he reproached him with the arts employed in procuring favorable elections into parliament arts which he himself had before imputed as a crime to richard and which he had made one chief reason of that prince's arraignment and deposition this manifesto was well calculated to inflame the quarrel between the parties the bravery of the two leaders promised an obstinate engagement and the equality of the armies being each about twelve thousand men a number which was not unmanageable by the commanders gave reason to expect a great effusion of blood on both sides, and a very doubtful issue to the combat. We shall scarcely find any battle in those ages where the shock was more terrible and more constant. Henry exposed his person in the thickest of the fight, his gallant son whose military achievements were afterwards so renowned, and who here performed his novitiate in arms, signalized himself on his father's footsteps and even a wound which he received in the face with a tin arrow could not oblige him to quit the field Piercy supported that fame which he had acquired in many a bloody combat and douglas his ancient enemy and now his friend still appeared his rival amidst the horror and confusion of the day this nobleman performed feats of valor which are almost incredible he seemed determined that the king of england should that day fall by his arm he sought him all over the field of battle and as henry either to elude the attacks of the enemy upon his person or to encourage his own men by the belief of his presence everywhere had accoutred several captains in the royal garb the sword of douglas rendered this honour fatal to many but while the armies were contending in this furious manner the death of Piercy by an unknown hand decided the victory and the royalists prevailed there are said to have fallen that day on both sides nearly two thousand three hundred gentlemen but the persons of greatest distinction were on the kings the Earl of Stafford, Sir Hugh Shirley, Sir Nicholas Gauzel, Sir Hugh Mortimer, Sir John Massey, Sir John Calverley. About six thousand private men perished, of whom two-thirds were of Piercy's army. The earls of Worcester and Douglas were taken prisoner, the former was beheaded at Shrewsbury, the latter was treated with the courtesy due to his rank and merit. The Earl of Northumberland, having recovered from his sickness, had levied a fresh army, and was on his march to join his son, but being opposed by the Earl of Westmoreland, and hearing of the defeat at Shrewsbury, he dismissed his forces, and came with a small retinue to the King at York. He pretended that his sole intention in arming was to mediate between the parties. Henry thought proper to accept of the apology, and even granted him a pardon for his offence. All the other rebels were treated with equal lenity, and except the Earl of Worcester and Sir Richard Vernon, who were regarded as the chief authors of the insurrection, no person engaged in this dangerous enterprise seems to have perished by the hands of the executioner. But Northumberland, though he had been pardoned, knew that he never should be trusted, and that he was too powerful to be cordially forgiven by a prince whose situation gave him such reasonable grounds of jealousy it was the effect either of henry's vigilance or good fortune or the narrow genius of his enemies that no proper concert was ever formed among them they rose in rebellion one after another and therefore afforded him an opportunity of suppressing singly those insurrections which had they been united, might have proved fatal to his authority. The Earl of Nottingham, son of the Duke of Norfolk, and the Archbishop of York, brother to the Earl of Wiltshire, whom Henry, then Duke of Lancaster, had beheaded at Bristol, though they had remained quiet while Piercy was in the field, still harboured in their breast a violent hatred against the enemy of their families, and they determined in conjunction with the earl of northumberland to seek revenge against him they betook themselves to arms before that powerful nobleman was prepared to join them and publishing a manifesto in which they reproached henry with his usurpation of the crown and the murder of the late king they required that the right line should be restored and all public grievances be redressed The Earl of Westmorland, whose power lay in the neighbourhood, approached them with an inferior force at Shipton, near York, and being afraid to hazard an action, he attempted to subdue them by a stratagem, which nothing but the greatest folly and simplicity on their part could have rendered successful. He desired a conference with the Archbishop and Earl between the armies. He heard their grievances with great patience he begged them to propose the remedies he approved of every expedient which they suggested he granted them all their demands he also engaged that henry should give them entire satisfaction and when he saw them pleased with the facility of his concessions he observed to them that since amity was now in effect restored between them it were better on both sides to dismiss their forces which otherwise would prove an insupportable burden to the country. The Archbishop and the Earl of Nottingham immediately gave directions to that purpose, their troops disbanded upon the field. But Westmoreland, who had secretly issued contrary orders to his army, seized the two rebels without resistance, and carried them to the King, who was advancing with hasty marches to suppress the insurrection. End of section 38, chapter 18, part 1.